Hey everybody, thanks for joining us at the Central and Janesville podcast. Please remember to check us out on centraljanesville.com throughout the week. We're excited for wherever God's got you at right now, and we hope this message brings you a little closer. Thanks. I wonder how many of you are Rocky fans. I'm not talking about Rocky Rococo. That stuff makes your stomach not feel good. I'm talking the greatest movie series in the history of all time. All right, raise your hand if you're a Rocky fan. Anybody? All right. Those of you without your hands raised, I don't know what you're thinking. All right, so there's like eight movies in the whole series because you got Rocky 1 through 5 and then you got Rocky 6 which for some reason they named it Rocky Balboa and then you've got the the spin-off Creed 1 and Creed 2. They're all fantastic movies. Um, They're so good that what happened was uh, early on in my marriage I realized Crystal hadn't watched them and it's a good thing we were married already because you never know. It might have been the end of that because this is important stuff to watch. So I'm like okay we got to watch this and so I'm kicking stuff. I'm, I'm angry okay. We had a New Year's Eve lock-in, like the first year that we were married. Now, we realized after about six, seven years of doing those that those are dumb, and so we stopped doing those. But we still did them at this point, first year of marriage, and so we get home at 8.30 in the morning on New Year's Day. And what we did was we, we blew up one of the air mattresses, put it out in the living room, and we put my, all of my DVDs, Rocky series DVDs, into the DVD player and we watched them. And we watched like three or four Rocky movies that day. I was thinking we were going to get through half of it and she's going to be like, this is stupid. She loved them. I was so happy. I was like, yes, we do belong together. Um, so we watched like three or four of them in the day. It was, it was awesome. It was super fun. Now, for those of you who are fans, I want you to just shout out to me which of the Rocky movies is your favorite. Go ahead. My best friend is over here. Because he knows the Rocky because he's like, he knows all you are supposed to say is four. Four is the greatest. So you got Rocky one. Here's what I love about Rocky, the first Rocky. It's so classic that even 46 years later, it was made in 1976. That's like five years before I was alive. That's crazy, and it's still good. But without any doubt, the greatest Rocky movie was Rocky IV. Made in 1985 at the height of the Cold War, against a Russian. I mean, it was amazing. And so in the movie, I don't want to give it away to those who haven't watched it, but I'm going to, because you should have watched it by now. (laughs) So the Russian, who's taking drugs and stuff, and he's really big, he fights Apollo Creed, who's Rocky's best friend, and he kills him in the ring. (laughs) That that really gave away the movie. (laughs) I know. Sorry about that, guys. And so then... Rocky decides, I'm, I'm going to get revenge for my friend. I'm going to fight him. He's, I'm not, I'm not going to do for any money. I'm going to fight the Russian. And so he goes to Moscow to fight the Russian. Here's what I love about the story. My favorite part probably of the whole series. They're fighting. And in the middle of this huge fight, everybody thinks that Rocky's just going to get killed. Maybe even literally. And this dude keeps taking punch after punch. I was going to show the clip, but I was like, that's pretty violent. So I'm not going to show the clip. But in the middle of this incredible match, all of a sudden, this hostile crowd in Moscow starts cheering, Rocky, 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 to the point that you've got government officials coming down to the Russian fighter, and he like pushes his face, and the Russian fighter picks him up by the neck. It was really cool. Um, I love, in this story, 
how Rocky, the, the guy that if you've watched the movies, you fall in love with his determination. He's, he's undersized for a heavyweight fighter, and people fall in love with his, his determination and his heart and his, his effort. And I know it's a movie, but you still got this Russian crowd turning their allegiance over to Rocky because they, they see and appreciate what he's doing. Now in Mark's gospel, you're like, where's the preaching? Here it is. We've been looking at so many stories about Jesus in the book of Mark. And the fact is that the real Jesus can turn a crowd or can turn an individual just like what Rocky actually did in this movie with the Russian crowd. And what we're going to see in the story today that we're going to look at is there is a hardened criminal, a guy who even himself, he says, he deserved death. He completely turned his heart over to Jesus. Jesus was able to turn the most hardened criminal of all. And so we're going to look at this story uh, in Mark chapter 15. I want you to be thinking about these questions. Have I let the real Jesus completely turn my life around? Has Jesus had such an impact on my life that I am a totally new and different person today because of it? Those are important questions, I think, as we, as we dig into this passage. So here it is, Mark chapter 15. It says, They crucified two rebels with him, with Jesus, one on his right, one on his left. Those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, So you who are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days, come down from the cross and save yourself. In the same way, the chief priests and the teachers of the law mocked him among themselves. He saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. Let this Messiah, this King of Israel, come down now from the cross that we may see and believe. Those crucified with him also heaped insults at him. I want you to, I'm going to say that last sentence one more time. Those on the cross with him also heaped insults at him. That's just a little foreshadowing, okay? Now, if we kept reading this story, and this is the only part of the story of, of Jesus on the cross with these people next to him, these criminals next to him, it's a little bit incomplete. And so while this is the last week that we're going in the Mark, uh, in the book of Mark and going through this series, I'm going to cheat a little bit and we're going to look at, this, at the Luke version of this story. And we're actually going to look more at the Luke version than the Mark version today. Forgive me. I hope it doesn't mess you up, okay? But here's what it is in Luke chapter 23. He says, uh, one on his right, the other place called the skull. They crucified him, Jesus, there, along with the criminals. One on his right, the other on his left. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. And they divided up his clothes by casting lots. The people stood watching, and the rulers even sneered at him. They said, he saved others. Let him save himself. If he's God said, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was a written notice above him, which read, this is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals there, who hung there, ins hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you're under the same sentence? We are punished justly, for we are getting what our, de our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus answered him, truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. See how much more is added in the story that Luke gives us? There is, there is this coming to Jesus, literal coming to Jesus moment that one of these criminals goes through. And I think it's so important for us to see that part of that story. And in Mark's version of the events, 
it, it indicates that at least to some degree, it seems like both of the criminals were, were shouting insults at Jesus. We don't see that in the Luke version. We just see this one criminal kind of sticking up for Jesus. Now, I think there's a couple possibilities here. First possibility could be that maybe Mark is, in this story, he's kind of using the word all, sort of like sometimes maybe we use the word all. It's not really about all. Maybe you go to a basketball game and the team, your home team isn't playing very good. And at halftime, everybody's booing. See what I just did there? Everybody's booing the team when they, they exit and they go into the locker room. And so you go home and you're like, yeah, everybody, the whole crowd was booing them at, at halftime. Was the whole crowd actually booing them? No. Most of them, maybe, but not everybody. So maybe Mark is, is saying that, oh, these criminals, they were insulting him. Maybe it was just the one criminal. Or maybe the other, the other side of the story is maybe Luke and Mark both have it right. Maybe both criminals were insulting Jesus at one point, but then at some point, something about Jesus' attitude turned this one guy over to Jesus. Now, see, I like to think that it's probably more uh, of that second storyline. Because no matter how you look at it, this guy who was on the cross next to Jesus, who was the one who actually turned his life over to Jesus at the end, he was a hardened criminal. Whether or not he was insulting Jesus to begin with, we know that this guy had a major turn take place in his life on the cross. There's a, a major change that took place in this guy's heart. And that change, I think you could call it, you could give it a word, and you could give it the word that we call repentance. What does repentance really look like? I think the bigger question is not only what does repentance look like, how do we get there to repentance? It is such a far step for this guy who was such a criminal that he was put on a cross to die. Now he changes completely around, does a 180 degree turn. You know, most of us, we've probably heard that the term repentance means to do a 180 degree turn and walk the other way from what you've done in your past. I think that's a really, really good description of what repentance looks like. I think it's a good description of what we should do in our lives. But how in the world do we get there? How does this guy get there on the cross? How do you and I get there in our lives? And I think that there, this story shows us a few things that is required if we're going to have repentance in our, in our hearts. And the first thing I think we see, repentance requires a humility towards your past. If you are looking at your past without a sense of humility and a complete sense of pride, it's going to be really hard for us to change our ways. And so I want you to read what happened here in Luke 23, 41. He says... We are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. This guy who's on the cross with Jesus, he isn't trying to deny what he did. He's not looking at his past and going, oh, I never did all that. Maybe you've watched the, the movie Shawshank Redemption, another classic movie, um, my favorite line in that movie, so you've got, it's a prison movie, all these guys are in prison. There's one guy in the story that you know for sure, he, he did not commit the crime that he went to prison for. And so he's talking to Morgan Freeman's character, and he's saying, I'm not supposed to be here, I didn't do this. And Morgan Freeman gives a line, it's my favorite line in the entire movie. He says, everyone in here is innocent. Think, okay, maybe that's just a fictional thing. There's actually a study done by a college, the University of Southampton, that the same percentage of people who are in prison say that they are law-abiding people as the people who are not in prison. Interesting, right? 
So, this guy who was on a cross next to Jesus, if he's a normal prisoner, if he's a normal criminal, what's he doing? He's saying, I don't, I don't belong here. I don't deserve to be up on this cross dying next to this guy named Jesus. But he does the exact opposite of that. There's humility about his past. Opening ourselves up to see our past with some humili humility, it takes time. I doubt that this guy who was on the cross next to Jesus just one, all of a sudden, that, that first day he was in prison was like, I'm getting what I deserve. It takes time for anybody to get to that place. And I'm sure it took him time. Remember, in all likelihood, he had mocked Jesus not too long ago. If he was mocking Jesus the moment that Jesus was on the cross, we know Jesus died really within hours of being on the cross. I want you to just think about the turn that would have had to take place in this guy's heart, this quick turn that had to take place. He goes from mocking Jesus to watching his attitude, watching Jesus say, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. And within maybe minutes, this guy is starting to have his mind changed about Jesus. I don't know about you, but it takes me a long time to, to change my mind about things that I made mistakes on. Especially, you know, I think about political mistakes, people that I voted for and they do stuff that I don't like. Man, it's so hard for me to be like, yeah, that was awful. And now if the person that I didn't vote for did the same stuff, it's so, I'm so quick to be like, what an awful human being. But if I voted for him, it's like, there's got to be a reason. <laughs> right? It's, oh, we just, if Andrew's in here, Andrew, you know how to get that thing fixed. Go ahead and fix it. Uh, Maybe it's a sports game that you thought uh, you had guaranteed. Uh, my Vikings, they're going to win this game. I've said that so many times. I've been wrong so many times. Uh, and it's hard for us to have the, that humility. Here's one from a few years back. You're going to like this. Uh, this is when I used to post things on Facebook a little bit more often. But I must have been in a bad mood that day. And so here's up on the screen. If you decide that you incorrect grandma for commenting on Facebook... If you decide you want to comment on an online article and make fun of another person's incorrect grammar for, grammar for another comment, make sure that your grammar is at least more accurate than the person that you're making fun of. Otherwise, you look kind of stupid. I just thought this needed some clarification for some people. Thank you. <laughs> That's, there, there's a reason I don't say stuff on Facebook anymore. Did anybody notice the problem up there? I knew you would know it. Gretchen's like, I saw it right away. Um, go to the next one. My buddy said this. Your should be a your, LOL. <laughs> yeah, I missed it up. So here's what I said back to him. Joe, you think that was on purpose or not? Here's the deal. I don't know if I was trying to be ironic by using the wrong grammar. But I also know that there is very much pride in this person. And so if I was trying to do it or not, I couldn't admit to Joe that, yeah, I, I messed up. I made a mistake. And so I was like, yeah, maybe, maybe I meant to do that as ir irony. Is that how you say that word? I don't even know. Um, so yeah, it's hard for us. It's hard for us to be humble. It's hard for us to admit when we're wrong. Maybe you're struggling to move forward in your walk with Jesus. Maybe you're struggling to make important changes in your life simply because you've been unable to come to terms with the mistakes of your past. You want so badly to, to put all of it on the person who hurt you. When 99 times out of 100, there's something, there's something that I could have done better. 
most of the pain that I experience, it's not 100% on somebody else. And until I'm willing to, to humble myself and take some part in that hurt and take some responsibility, it's going to be really, really hard for me to change. Change takes some humility. This criminal, it had to be a little difficult to humbly look at what he had just, just done maybe an hour ago, insulting Jesus, and to take it back and be like, no, this dude, I, wanna, I want this dude to take me to heaven. Like, that's a big turnaround. I only hope that myself, that I can willingly admit to mistakes as boldly and as quickly as this guy on the cross. When we see the depth of our sin, will we be electrified by the wonder of grace? There is so much that I do that is wrong. I have wrong thoughts. I have wrong actions. I speak really wrong things a lot. Jane, don't be shaking your head so much on that. Come on. Okay, give me a little. Man. We all do so much wrong, but it's so hard for us to be humble to it, to admit it. We've got this depth of sin. In, in our past, even in our present, we have a depth of sin problem. But being aware of that depth of our sin, being humble to it, it can actually make us excited and more in awe of the grace that Jesus has actually given to us. And I think what happens is this humility about our past, it opens a gateway to change. When I can be humble about what I've done in the past, man, it's, it's like what, this big, huge doorway just opening up in front of us and I can walk through and I can live a different life. But the moment that I come up to my past in pride. Had this, had this prisoner, this criminal who was dying next to Jesus thought, man, I, I'm not supposed to be here. If he just held on to that, held on to that, held on to that. I'm telling you, I don't think that gateway would have been opened for him to change. Now, was he able to change? He died on that cross. He didn't have a chance to really go and live his life different. But I'm telling you, from the humility that we see in his heart right now, I'm pretty sure if that guy had, had been able to, to, to get off that cross and live his life, it would have looked different. There would have been change. So take a moment to think through these two questions today. What in my past am I continuing to say that I was right about that maybe I wasn't really right about? What is there that I'm holding on to and I'm, I'm, I'm sticking a prideful mindset about? What does God need to humble me about? And what have I remained prideful about that might be keeping me from the change that God wants to see in me? Think through those two questions a little bit. So I think the first and, and most important requirement that we see in this passage, and second requirement is this. Repentance requires turning your trust from yourself to Jesus. Turn yourself, your trust from yourself to Jesus. I'm pretty sure that this guy on the cross next to Jesus, he probably trusted in himself quite a bit. That's probably why he got himself into some bad situations. I'm going to trust myself to get myself in, out of whatever situation I need to, to get myself through life, so it didn't matter if he, he'd go rob people or he'd hurt people. He was going to do it his way. Luke 23, 42, this is what he says then to Jesus. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Again, how does a guy get to that point? What got him to believing in the kingdom of Jesus? rather than his own kingdom. He is entrusting himself completely over to Jesus. It's a super powerful moment. And I, and I ask you this. If someone were to ask you what sold you on Jesus, what would you say? 
What definitively got you to the point that you accepted his death on your behalf? The truth is, maybe there's some of you in this room that you haven't gotten to that point yet where you've trusted Jesus with your life. That you believe that he's the one that's going to take you into eternal kingdom. Maybe you're like, I can't even trust myself. How am I supposed to trust Jesus? I get that. I don't think anybody can get us to that place where we'd so sharply make a turn in our lives without first having a real encounter with that person. I think for us to get to the place where we trust Jesus, we have to, we have to actually have an encounter with Jesus. And I don't think that encounter has to just happen once. If you're, if you're here and you've never decided to trust your heart over Jesus, maybe the one thing I want to ask you to do today is this. Be open to that type of encounter where you get to know who Jesus is. And the truth is you're in church today, so you're probably not all that closed off to it. But I believe the more that we open ourselves up to Jesus, that we encounter... In fact, I think he gives us every reason not to keep going on not trusting him. It's, it's just so basic when we understand who he is that he's worthy of our trust. For those of you who have actually taken that step of trusting Jesus... Here's a question I have for you. What is the story of your encounter with Jesus? And maybe as important, how are you encountering the real Jesus every single day? I think that, again, we have to, if we're going to trust our life to somebody, we have to, we have to have an ongoing relationship. We have to encounter them over and over and over again. If I'm going to trust my wife, Crystal, we have to, I have to have an encounter with her every single day. We have to know who each other is so that we can trust one another. If you're struggling in your trust for Jesus and therefore you're, you're struggling to, to just fully give yourself over to him, it's, it might be because we're struggling to encounter him. We're struggling to feel his presence in our lives. And the beauty is, is that this can happen not just in one moment, one part of the day. I think it's awesome for everybody to have a quiet time where they read their Bible, where they pray. That's great stuff. But we can be encountering Jesus Every moment of every day in our lives, even in the, the, the supposedly secular things. I love art and music that draws my attention to Jesus, even if the person that made that art didn't do it, doing it for God. I think that we can experience the hand of God when we, when we hear somebody laughing at something funny that happened. I love my daughter Abigail's laugh. Just hearing her laugh makes me like, ah, oh, the day is better. That's a good thing to have. We can encounter God in so many different ways. And the more that I encounter him and that I attribute things to him, I will begin to trust him. See, the trouble with one of these criminals on the cross next to Jesus was he chose to not see what was plainly put in front of him. He saw that Jesus was different, but he couldn't do the same thing that the other criminal did, which was actually put his trust in him. You, you may be in a spot where you've, all your life, you've seen that Jesus is different. There is something about Jesus that's different, but it's still hard to fully give your trust over. Again, this comes back to the humility part. Sometimes it takes us having a little bit of humility, saying, I wasn't right in the past. And I'm going to humbly give myself over and trust to Jesus now. It's not always easy, but it's the best thing that we can do. Um, this guy on the cross, he realized that he couldn't deny Jesus anymore. That's the story of my encounter with Jesus. The more I come to know him, to know him the more that I see that he is better than I deserve him to be. He has more love than I deserve to be shown. 
It's got more mercy. See, repentance is always going to require us to have humility towards our past. It's going to require us to trust Jesus more than we trust ourselves. But then, at the end of this passage, it shows us something beautiful that comes out of repentance. Repentance gives you a completely changed destination. I love the last verse in this passage. Jesus answered this guy on the cross next to him. He says to him, Truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. As I humble myself to my past and I put my trust in Jesus, he has promised to give me a new destination. Now here's the beauty in that. I think it's amazing that we are given a new destination. But I think what's actually, maybe to me sometimes even more beautiful, I love the idea of heaven. But do you realize that when you have a new destination in store for you, you also get to take a new road. And for some of us, it's that new road that is going to be the beautiful thing right now. I put it like this. Maybe, uh, let's say that you, you have a home, and it is in the roughest neighborhood in the roughest part of the country. The destination to your home, if you're driving home from anywhere, even the destination to that home, it could be dangerous, right? I got a friend who was telling me about, he was in one city and he was talking to a cop, and the cop literally said, this is probably not an area of the city where you should even stop at stop signs just because of the danger of getting mugged there. That's a crazy thought, right? Just driving to the place, the destination you're trying to go to, don't even stop because it's dangerous. There's also some, some parts of some cities that I've heard that they're trying to get away with, they're trying to do like dead-end roads in neighborhoods, like courts, so that people can't do drive-by shootings anymore. The destination in some neighborhoods, even getting there, the road to there, it's dangerous. But I love what Jesus does. In giving us a new destination, he gives us a new road. He gives us a new path that we get to follow on. You know what? The, the road for me, it's just been full of, full of potholes, full of misery. It has been awful the whole stretch of the way. I don't know why I should trust my life to Jesus. And I'm telling you, just like this, like this criminal had a new destination awaiting for him the moment that he died... We have a new destination waiting for us, but that destination changes the path that we get to go on now. I'm not saying that your path is going to be perfect. I'm not saying your path is going to be easy. But I'm saying your path is going to be full of what God wants it to be full of. A Holy Spirit-led path is going, to, is going to be full of more joy, more awesomeness, more grace, more goodness than the path that some of us are maybe going down towards right now. I believe in my heart that repentance is an important thing for us. I believe that Jesus shows us that repentance is a beautiful thing. It says here in Luke 15, 10, the Bible says there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of, of God over one sinner who repents. The moment that we take our lives and we go a total 180 and we go a different direction, that is a beautiful moment in heaven. So this morning I want to ask you, am I... Am I going to proudly hold on to all my past behaviors regardless of how much they backfired on me? Maybe you're, you're, you're holding on to things in the past. We're seeing you guys can come back up here. We're, we're getting close to the end here. Um, but maybe you're holding on to stuff from your past right now. There's something in you that is just struggling to humble yourself to that past. And it's keeping you from the change that you think God maybe is wanting for your life. Do you need to humble yourself to that past? Or ask yourself the question, am I going to trust in myself and believe that I'm actually capable of paving my own road to the destination that I want to get to? 
The road that we pave for ourselves, it is often full of more hardship. Thanks again for joining us on the Central and Janesville podcast. Remember to check us out at centraljanesville.com. Have a great week.